Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 460 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We are out there raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups are out there developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. You can visit engageforsuccess.org to learn more, and why not sign up for our weekly newsletter there so you never miss out on any of the great free resources, events, and updates. And I'm Andy Gorham, your host for today's show and founder of BizJuicer, an employee engagement and culture development consultancy that helps companies retain more of their great people and makes it easier for them to attract fabulous new talent too. Now, goodness knows that leading a team of people, even when you know exactly where you're going and how you're going to get there, and you have a stable environment around you, is tricky enough to do. At the moment, for many leaders, the landscape in which we operate can still feel very different to that idyllic picture. But we're still faced with a necessity to lead change under very challenging circumstances with a high degree of uncertainty. It is highly likely also that they will be trying to lead a team that is already reeling from what's happened over the last few years and is now trying to cope with the pressures of the cost of living crisis on top of many other things. So how on earth do you lead a team through tough, disruptive change with high levels of uncertainty without burning them out? Well, with me today to try and shed some light on this is Jude Jennison, a leadership and team development specialist who brings a unique perspective to leading change. As the founder of Leaders by Nature, she specializes in non-verbal communication and works with a herd of horses to transform leadership behavior. So I'm fascinated and really interested to hear Jude's take on this dilemma. Welcome to the show, Jude. Thanks, Andy. Lovely to have you here. Now then, using a herd of horses to help educate leaders and teams about the power and impact of non-verbal communication. That sounds amazing, and we will get into that um, later. But before we try and tackle some of those questions I've posed in the introduction, can I just ask you to give us a little bit more background on you and actually what you do do on a day-to-day basis with these lovely horses? Okay, thank you. So I work with a herd of horses to develop senior leaders and executive teams, particularly on their nonverbal communication and behavior. And a lot of our nonverbal communication and behavior, we're completely unconscious of it. So by working with a herd of horses, uh, we can explore what's the impact that we're creating Uh, in a day-to-day basis in our interactions with others so how do we build relationships how much do we trust and how how well do we create trust and respect in return so I work with horses on the ground so there's no riding involved and the horses respond based on all of your nonverbal so what you're thinking what you're feeling your energy and emotions so they're looking for that perfect balance between results and relationships so if you're too 
focused on the result or too much of a people pleaser, the horses won't engage. They need you to be absolutely bang on and to be authentic and honest and transparent about what's really going on. I mean, I've used the word fascinating about three times already, but it, it, but it is. <laughs> uh, and thank you for the explanation around nonverbal, because that would be my first question. When, when we're talking about nonverbal communication, how do we see that manifest every day in leadership? When leadership guys and uh, teams come to you, what are some of the problems that they're facing or trying to improve upon? Well, they they may not even be facing problems. They right. Many of the teams that I work with are looking to enhance their performance by revealing the blind spots. And we all have blind spots. So some of the teams that I work with may come to me repeatedly because they recognize there are blind spots and that we, by revealing them, we can work with them. So that, that it's not always teams that are broken that, that I work with. Many, many of them are very, very competent. Mm. Um, but if you think about athletes always need a coach to yeah. take them to the next level, the work that I'm doing with leaders and teams is, is the same. But when we think about nonverbal communication, we tend to think about body language and mm. yet there's so much more that is actually going on. So if, for example, you turn up at work and you're feeling slightly stressed or you're anxious about a presentation, you might think that you're hiding it really well. But as soon as you start to engage with a horse, it becomes really obvious whether what you're exhibiting externally is congruent with what's going on internally. So they start to reveal that, as I call them, the hidden dynamics of team performance. The horses will respond based on what's actually going on inside. So if you go up, go up to a horse and you're feeling anxious, but you pretend that you're not, the horses won't engage with you. But if you go up to them and say, I'm feeling anxious, go easy on me because I don't know what I'm doing, the horse is much more likely to go, okay, you're anxious, you're being honest about it, I can engage with you because you're being authentic and congruent and therefore um, it's, it feels safe to be around you. Yeah, I mean, we talk about authenticity a lot right now in leadership and business and how do you really measure that other than the sense that you get? And I think this this feels like a great sort of test of that really um fascinating absolutely fascinating um we're going to talk a little bit about leading through uncertainty i guess today um let's start with a pretty generic question why is it such a challenge for leaders and when we talk about uncertainty do you think we are dealing with a greater level of uncertainty than ever before or has it always been this way Okay, so I think the reason why we find uncertainty challenging is we're, we're hardwired for certainty. So if we think back to our, uh, our roots and, and our ancestors who literally uncertainty was, will I get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger? <laughs> um, so, so what we're looking for is, am I safe? And we sometimes talk about psychological safety at work, but very rarely do we say, Am I physically and emotionally and psychologically safe? Yet that's what we're actually striving for. And certainty makes us feel safe. And uncertainty brings that into question. So I think that's why it's uncomfortable. And the more we get used to uncertainty, the more comfortable it actually becomes. And therefore, we build a level of resilience around it. 
Yeah, I mean, we're constantly on the scan, aren't we? We're, we're, the, the, mm. the, the brain from prehistoric times hasn't really changed <laughs> that much. It's still looking at, like you say, trying to protect us. So that's always been there. Do you think that we're dealing, though, with more levels of uncertainty? We've just come through a very, very uncertain time, and we're about to go into another uncertain time. Is this, is this something that we're finding it difficult to deal with, or, if, or do you think we have always had this kind of volume of stuff? We've always had uncertainty, but I think when we had more local communities and our work was local and we worked in a local economy we were less aware of it. I think now what, what we have is three types of uncertainty. We have our own personal uncertainty. So that might be, you know, even going on holiday creates uncertainty. Um, will I get on the plane on time or will I get stuck in traffic? Getting married, looking after elderly parents or children, all of that creates uncertainty. And then we have professional uncertainty, which is change, any change creates uncertainty in the workplace. And the great example of that was the lockdown where everybody in, during the pandemic suddenly went into lockdown. And for many people, their job didn't change, but the way they were operating and doing it did change. And therefore, that made everything feel like it was uncertain. And then we have global events, you know, war, um, the cost of living crisis, economic, political instability, all of that creates uncertainty and makes us question, am I safe? Yeah, it just feels like everything's coming at once. It feels like uh, one finishes and another three start at the moment. It, it feels like quite an onslaught. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people feel quite overwhelmed in their day-to-day -day lives, let alone combining the, the work and the home life as well. Um, when you're working with leaders and teams, I mean, is uncertainty a word that they're using? Uh, is it something they're specifically coming to you to think about? Uh, and, and if so, what's the attitude towards it? I mean, what has your work told you about how we and businesses um, are able to cope well with that level of uncertainty? Yeah, well, I mean, lots of, lots of things in there. When I first started working with horses 12 years ago, mm. I started to talk about uncertainty because I realised that it was always uncertain whether the horse was going to come with me or not. You know, they're, they're not polite like people, so they won't come <laughs> just because you're the boss or just because you've told them or just because you think it's a good idea. So instantly I realised the predicament of uncertainty, and that's why I always say they're the most challenging team I've ever led. And, I've, you know, I've led European and global teams, but the horses are far more challenging than any human team I've ever led because it's never clear whether they'll come or not. Um, but a decade ago, nobody wanted to talk about uncertainty. And so I, I held off until I think post-Brexit, when everybody started to talk about uncertainty. And although people don't like it, they started to talk about it. And that was when I wrote the book, Leading Through Uncertainty, the first edition. Yeah. What I'm finding is that now people are more comfortable with the word uncertainty but with the word, not the actual embodied practice of it. Right. So I think it's still deeply uncomfortable for for all of us and and depends on, on everybody in terms of not just levels of resilience, but levels of willingness and experience of being uncertain. Yeah, and I guess change brings with it all sorts of uncertainties. 
right? Always, um, yeah. <laughs> it's a constant, right? Let's be honest. And change within business is a constant. And things seem to be changing with a more rapid pace. From from your work again, Jude, what are or how are businesses attacking this stuff? If when we think about change, um, now I guess you have a you have a choice, right? There's two sides to it, which I guess is where the horses link really comes brilliantly. There's always the operational pieces, the the strategies, the the task based stuff. But on the other side of that, it doesn't matter how great that plan is. Um, it's still got to be delivered by people who are basically, you know, wet bags of emotion. <laughs> so businesses in the past have, I guess, been been obvious enough to just be concentrating or maybe too much concentration on the on the task, on the strategy, on the sort of the process bit that they can almost control and maybe less focus on the emotional stuff. Is that what you've found over your research and writing the book and the work that you do or are you, are you seeing things changing? What, what's going on? Absolutely. And I, and I think um, in the past, as you say, with change, we've, we've tended to think about it as a list of as a to do list of like, here's where we are. Here's where we want to go. Here's all the things that we need to do. Now, let's go do them. What we're realizing, I think the pandemic really highlighted was that when you invoke massive change, like a lockdown that requires working from home and, and we're still grappling with you know, working from home versus the office versus hybrid working, and that's different for every organisation and every person in it, mm. that creates some uncertainty that people are trying to respond to. Um, and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable until we've got that certainty. But I think what re- people realised in the pandemic was the need to look out for people and to have more compassion. What I'm now starting to see is, as we're returning back to the workplace and into hybrid working and and everybody's version of that, there's a tendency, there are some organisations that have included compassion as part of their skill set of leading change. And then Mm. there are others who just think, do you know what, we've had two years of compassion, now we need to crack on and get on with executing the strategy. And I think (laughs) we're starting to see some of the backlash of that, where people, you know, the, the, the whole idea of people looking for new jobs and people being more clear about I'm not willing to work in the office five days a week so if that's what you want from me then I'm I'm voting with my feet and going for another job and I think we'll continue to see that flux and change until we start to find that um, balance between what do employers and organizations want and need and what do employees want and need and and the two need to come together in order to engage employees and it needs to be balanced and nuanced and i'm not sure anybody's got this perfectly right yet but it needs to be balanced and nuanced because ultimately it is people who will execute so we need to engage them and keep them happy and therefore have compassion but we also need to continually stretch people to create change otherwise people stay in their comfort zone and then uncertainty becomes unpalatable so it's a really delicate balance, and I think we're all still grappling and navigating it. I would agree with that. And we, we, look, we saw some, we did see some great examples during the pandemic, and we saw some awful um, examples of, of of leadership. And I think what you're saying about, come on, we've done the compassion thing now. Can we just get back to normal and get back to the um, the, the task at hand? And I don't think it's going to go that way. Um, 
I think we've I now mean, opened the lid and we had a look in and we, people have got a different mind about things now. I think so. And I, I also think that the, you know, the younger generations coming through the workplace are now saying, hang on a minute, I'm not going to just do what you tell me to do because that's what mm. you expect of me. Mm. I, work with me, build the relationship, trust me, respect me as much as you want me to trust and respect you in return. And I don't think that's too much to ask, to ask people to be human in the workplace. But it's not easy. (laughs) It it, it isn't easy because it's not necessarily front of mind skill set for everybody. It's, you know, if we think in the 70s and and, and 80s, you know, there was an awful lot of process and shareholder and all that kind of financial focus. And actually, we're coming back round full circle now to think about the human in the workplace. And it's not what everybody has picked up and learnt from previous bosses who, you know, you end up following the path of, right? And so it's not everybody's natural skill set. But I think there is definitely a changing bow wave of humanity that that people are expecting now. And I think, yes, some of it's driven by generational work. Some of it is driven by the situation and behaviours that we saw through um, the pandemic and lockdown where the focus on your neighbour was more in focus than most people have ever seen in their lifetime certainly those people who were born after a war and that has had a profound effect on people as i think also has been the environment at work that's created and and actually i wanted to ask you a question on this i've I've seen recently that um you've moved premises you on linkedin you've been talking about the 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 journey of re-establishing the the herd of horses in the new area. I wondered whether there are any parallels here in that changing environment. Are you seeing your change of environment have an effect on your horses, which is probably akin to how this whole environmental change is, is changing the way we work? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've moved my, I've moved house horses and business from Warwickshire to Staffordshire and the horses were pretty feral for the first three weeks. Um, <laughs> I've worked in you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, and I think the level of uncertainty of they're in a new environment, they don't know it, they're questioning, am I safe? And therefore, they they weren't wanting to engage with me because they were wanting to manage their own safety first in the environment and to start to feel safe in the environment before Mm. they could work with me. Um, And what's been really fascinating for, for me as part of that process is always working with them and saying, you know, here's what I want, what do you want and need to feel safe and how do we create something? Mm. And then ultimately what, what happened was every routine that I tried to establish, they said no to it because it was, it was so far removed from their old routine and their old environment that they said no to absolutely everything. And let me be clear, this is a herd that are normally really willing and, you know, I have a fabulous relationship with them. And then about two weeks, two or three weeks ago, I said, right, I don't care what you think. This is the routine we're going to follow because we're here in this new environment. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it for a month. And if it doesn't work, then we'll have a different conversation. Mm. And they were resistant and they were pulling in opposite directions. And I absolutely had to be quite coercive, too strong a word, but very directive of this is how it's going to be. Mm. And within a week, they'd relaxed into the, the routine and gone, oh, yeah, okay, this is all right. Yeah, I can do this. Mm. And so sometimes in uncertainty, 
we do we do need to be directive because people are so far out of their comfort zones and in my case a herd of horses are so mm. far out of their zones we have to say by being directive and by being clear this is how we create safety and and trust me on this and and hopefully you've got the the respect and the relationships that you can draw on that and and if you haven't then it's much harder to be directive well, i um, think that's so a great look- point Sorry, Jude, I think that's a great point. I, I think that, that thing about earning trust to be able to be directive is a, yeah. is a great point because I, as a natural-born collaborator, I would, I would love to involve everybody and talk to everybody and get everybody's opinions. And, you know, if I had my way, we'd do that every day, all day long. But at some point, you've got to get off the pot and get stuff done. And I, I, think, yeah. I, I think at, at this point, that's a that's what i mean by it being a great example it's only the trust bank you've you've built up that i guess allows you to effectively take that more directive approach when you really do want to work as a team but you have to sometimes say look this is where we're going you might not believe me but put your faith and trust in me and we'll we'll get there together and that's clearly what you've done with the horses that's exactly what you're saying Absolutely, but it's always in balance because obviously, if I did that with everything every single day, that would very, you know, that would very quickly run out of steam. So they would soon start to say, actually, there's no room for my voice. I can't have an opinion anymore, and therefore yeah. I'm I'm disengaging. So it's always a really delicate balance of when do we need to provide clarity and direction, and when do we need to be listening and communicating and having compassion and including somebody's voice. And, and I don't think we ever get that right. I think we're always navigating that as leaders of what's the best way in this moment in service of the whole team to engage them around change. Is it clarity and direction that's required or is it support and listening that's required? This is brilliant. I mean, th- this is where you can really start to see the, the link coming out. And that's why, you know, for me and for, <laughs> for lots of people, engagement is a never-ending job for all the reasons that you say there are formulas that you can follow pathways that you can follow but events environments people attitude all change along the way and you have to be flexible you have to adapt and you have to keep on it i think you're 100 percent right yes lovely times to uh, collaborate and listen and there are also times that require decisiveness and action and it is always a gentle, healthy balance that you have to apply. I think that's brilliant. Mm. I mean, maybe some of the previous tendencies, environments, attitudes are why we're now seeing, you know, phenomenons, and I use the word phenomenon probably incorrectly, but things like the phenomenon of quiet quitting, right? And this groundswell, which I don't think it's now turning out to be what we originally thought it was, but I think it's been hijacked by a few things, but people signifying pulling back from being told what to do and being stretched too far and being put upon through this this sort of quiet quitting do you have any thoughts on that yeah i think it's i think again it's about balance because if we only do what's comfortable mm. then we don't learn and grow and so the, with quiet quitting often there's a there's a tendency to work within your comfort zone and in reality, what we need to be able to do is to continually stretch and to continually push against the boundaries because that's what change does. Yeah. And so change is always going to create resistance 
And we need to be able to push against that to a certain point, because if we don't, then we'll stagnate and we won't create change and we won't be comfortable with uncertainty that, that gets created. So th there's this delicate balance that we have to push enough so that we are uncomfortable to grow, but not to the point where we burn out and um, and, and then can't see which way is up. So, you know, I always come back to the word of balance, of the balance between results and relationships, the balance of being directive versus coaching, the, the balance of pushing out of the comfort zone versus operating within it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, my impression of what good change looks like is that there's some genuine purpose behind it. In so which case, when you are pushing and challenging and stretching on the back of change, there's a good reason for it. It's not change for change's sake. It's not you wouldn't just change the environment or routine with the horses just for the sake of it. You'd be doing it for a reason, right? And I think it's exactly the same when it comes to, to, to businesses. If people can see that there's a genuine purpose behind the change and they understand that and they can see themselves in it, then it becomes a little easier. Change isn't an easy thing, but it becomes a little bit easier. People are more accepting, right? Absolutely. And I think as, as leaders, we, we must be able to articulate what is the purpose of a change and, yeah. and to make sense of that in a way that meets people's values and, um, and engages them. No, 100%. Um, if we looked at your work with the horses and nonverbal communication... What what are the, some of the biggest lessons that you have picked up or that you try to espouse to the people that come and see you in terms of having successful change behavior and not exhausting people, stretching them, pushing them too far? Because that must be something that comes out of the, the learning that you can give to, to the people that visit you. Oh, well, completely, because what the horses want is that delicate balance between being clear what you're asking them to do and building a strong relationship based on trust and respect. And unless you bring that absolutely in alignment, the horses won't engage. So some of the lessons that, that show up are around levels of trust, around respect, um, how clear are you being? Often we think we're being clear when we're actually not. So all, all of those things, anything that is in the communication of the leadership team will show up around the horses. And, and words not maxing, matching up to actions, I guess, is one of those things as well. If you're saying the horses are going to sense this stuff, it's no different to us. We, we've all sat in presentations or meetings where people have started to talk about stuff and you get a sense that they don't really mean that. <laughs> and there's another agenda at play. And I guess some of that stuff comes out. And, and the work that you do must heighten some of those senses or thought processes to make sure people are being genuine and authentic this stuff. Yeah, completely, because unless we're congruent with our behaviour, the horses won't engage. And if I was to ask you, if we think about the listenership today, if you were to offer the listeners one piece of advice on how to get better about all this stuff, how to think about the balance, what single piece of advice could you give people, Jude? I think be curious about the impact that you're having on others and be curious about what how people are showing up and be curious about what people be curious really it, listen um 
understand where are their differences of opinion and how do you navigate those together? And all with that beautiful word of balance in the background that you've, you've sort of said today as well. I mean, Absolutely. I, I could talk about how you use horses with leadership development all day. I mean, really, I think it's a fascinating topic. And thank you so much for coming on here today. That is all about time we have for today. But you can find out more uh, about looking up Jude uh, Jennison on LinkedIn. There's loads of fantastic stories and pictures showing uh, what, what she and the horses are up to. So please, I encourage everybody listening to go and do that. Please don't also forget to visit engageforsuccess.org to check out our show notes and all of our fab free engagement resources. And don't forget, you can also download or stream any of the great shows from our archive completely at your leisure on there. Jude, once again, thanks so much for being here today and for telling us your story, um, offering up some practical solutions. I mean, and who to thought we would be talking about horses and how they can help us become better leaders. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for today. Thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure to be here. Brilliant. Well, you take care. Everybody, we'll be back again at the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham, and thanks for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.